Hello and welcome to episode 24 of Risk and Reward, the golf podcast from Winning Edge Investments that aims to keep you on the right side of the betting ledger. Rod Murray steering the ship as we head into week two of the new year and it would be fair to say that men's golf at least is back to almost full strength with the US, European and Asian tours all hosting events this week. What that means is that there's lots of betting opportunities, particularly in South Africa, where the European Tour's South African Open boasts a field of 240 golfers teeing up across two courses. Joining me in the studio to run through all the permutations, possibilities and hunt down the best value bets for the week is my regular co-host, golf professional from way back when, John Evans. J.E., going to be uh, plenty on this week. It's a big field in South Africa for a national open. What's the biggest field you ever played in? I played in... uh the first two Vanuatu Opens where there were only two players. I, <laughs> I won them both. <laughs> At least you've got that for you. Uh, that's it. But that is not, that's a big thing. I know that New Zealand Open and PGA have sort of combined into a the one event, have they not? No, no, uh, not quite. But they, they play on four courses. At, uh, yeah. But, the but, but uh, there's... There's 140 pl- pros and 576 oh. amateurs, I think, which is um, which are paying $10,000 a shot. Yeah, well. You, you should do those numbers and figure out how much prize You know what my math is like, but even I can tell you, J.E., that's plenty. There's uh, someone's, uh, right. someone's clipping the ticket there, yeah. and I'm not that sure that it's the players. Exactly right. I think the, we were the Pebble Beach Prime in the States and the one at uh, Canusti, the old course in Kings Barnes in... Uh, Scotland is the same thing every year. We'll come to all that uh, in a moment before we delve into this but week's not tips. not 240 pros, Rod. That's no, a that's lot. No, that's 240 pros. That is an awful, awful that lot. That is a lot. So, uh, very, very interesting stuff. Before we delve into this week's events uh, and tips, homework time on behalf of Winning Edge Investments. Each week, Winning Edge produce a newsletter courtesy of my co-host, which normally retails at $150 a month. However, to make up for the fact that you sit and listen to us each week, on this podcast, there is a discount available to those who tune in. 25% price reduction, meaning instead of 150 a month, as JE has told me several times, reliably, that brings things down to $112.50 per month. Subscribers get access to all of JE's staking plan. Uh, while we only reveal a small number of the suggestions here on the, the podcast, it's really designed as a bit of a teaser and a taster. Uh, to how the system, for want of a better term, works. Add to that the discount that the uh, the discount if you sign up for three or twelve months. There's also a profit guarantee. Hard to see why you wouldn't be in it if you had an interest in the game and wagering on it. I made a mess of that sentence, Jay. Let's go with add to the discount the fact that if you sign up for three months or twelve months, there's a profit guarantee, and that makes it hard to see why you wouldn't be in it if you had an interest in the game and wagering on it. Head to Winning Edge Investments. Use the promo code Golf Twenty Five when you sign up for the Golf Newsletter. Alternatively, just look below in the show notes, and you'll see a link that'll take you straight there. Perfect for the likes of you and me, JE, who uh, struggle with those difficult things like searching. Enough of all that. Let's get back to the golf. First things first, Jay. How did things unfold last week for the Tribe? Just the one event on the US Tour in Hawaii there with only 36 players, I think, in the end we came up with. Well, there were 32, 33 players, I think. It was 34 players started. And um, uh, we tipped uh, um, Ricky Fowler and Tyler Duncan, who finished fifth and sixth. Both of them had a chance to win. um, But you'd have to think that Justin Thomas fell in. um, It was a race to see who could lose it. It was was Xander Xander, (laughs) Xander Shoffley fell out. And uh, and, uh, Patrick Reid discovered that um, 
his past sins haven't yet been forgotten. A fair bit of controversy about that. Did you have some thoughts on that, Jay? For those not in the picture, in the Hero World Challenge Tigers event the week before the President's Cup, in the Bahamas they were, uh, Patrick took what he described as two practice swings behind the ball. The ball was in a sandy waste area. The vision quite clearly showed that he moved an awful lot of sand from behind the ball with those two movements of the club. He claimed that he didn't know that that's what had happened when he was shown the vision. He was offered a two-stroke penalty, which he took. Apparently, he was quite a gentleman about it, according to Slugger White. Lots of people don't believe him. They think he both did it deliberately and knew he'd done it. He was uh, ragged on mercilessly at Royal Melbourne during the President's Cup. There was an incident there where he sort of uh, mimicked shoveling sand walking off one of the greens. His caddy got into a physical altercation with a fan after he'd been wound up a few times. Seems that it might have carried over. Somebody during the course of the playoff between he and Thomas, just after he'd stroked his final putt there, which missed the hole, screamed out the word cheater. It's all a bit undignified for golf, isn't it, J.E.? What was your take on all that? Well, I thought it was just exactly the right word at the right time. Perhaps a bit earlier might have been even more controversial and then he would have been able to blame the, the cheater, but he'd already hit the ball before the, the guy yelled it out. He's, but he's since said he didn't hear it, and Justin Thomas said he didn't hear it either. Well, that was uh, that was fortunate, but, uh, but however, it probably, perhaps he should have heard it, but... The thing is, Rod, in the desert last year or the year before, he was spotted doing exactly the same thing where his ball had finished in a depression and he has actually scrubbed the sand away from the back of the depression, which is it's just blatant It's cheating. improving the lie and it's allows him blatant, to get a better shot than the other one. It's blatant it's cheating. And, um, and I, I personally, I think that Slugger White ought to resign. Slugger White should have said... Slugger White's the tour's rules official. Take a holiday. Uh, in fact, take two weeks off and go home and uh, and flagellate yourself, and 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 tomorrow morning issue a, a written apology for your terrible behaviour, promising you'll never ever do it again. But Slugger White slapped him two strokes penalty and then called him an honourable man. Well, that's ridiculous. And so the tour commissioner has since backed him up. He said in a while during a press conference that. Uh he doesn't think there's any questions about Patrick's integrity, that he's spoken to him personally and he's happy with his explanation of things. It's a bit odd, isn't it? Well, yeah. I think I think Monohan's basically uh, put a sword through his credibility um, and both of them should go, Slugger White and Monohan, because the one thing about the game that's been of great value since 1500 is the integrity of the game. Um Going right back to um, Mary Queen of Scots, who, who murdered uh, Lord Darnley while never, playing golf, but so never cheated on the golf course. She didn't cheat, <laughs> you know. She she <laughs> she organised his murder, but she didn't cheat. She never cheated. The irony, of course, of all that, Jay, is that uh, we know that Monaghan and White won't go. That's a, a highly unlikely scenario, but. I suppose the irony of it is that one of the great selling points of the PGA Tour is that golf is a game of such integrity. I wonder whether in the long term Monaghan might come to regret the decision and the public stance that he's taken on this particular. There's no question that most in the world of golf, spectators and fans, and especially, well, certainly most of the media, have taken a position that Reid knew what he was doing, that he did it on purpose, uh, that he should have been both disqualified from the tournament, removed from the President's Cup team. That might have been awkward with the event being the following week. It, it's looked upon so as such an egregious breach of the etiquette of the game to deliberately cheat that you can't have the whiff of it about, I wouldn't have thought, if it's the product you're trying to sell. Well, the, 
the rule one in in every rule book going right back to the first production of the rules in the 1870s or 1880s, I think I had the early rule, but might have, might have been 1890, but anyway, rule one's etiquette. And the etiquette of the game is therefore the most important rule in the book. And there's no ambiguity. I mean, anybody who's played the game at any level, as a club golfer in a handicap match, in match play or stroke play, who saw his opponent scrub his his club behind the ball, moving sand that was impeding his stroke, would immediately call him out and claim the hole. And once the evidence had been presented, as it was with a camera, he would automatically be scrubbed out, he'd lose the hole in match play and be disqualified in stroke play. Now, I'm not that sure that the punishment of missing the President's Cup was the correct punishment, but if you gave him two weeks suspension, then it would have been, and two weeks suspension at least probably was a minimum penalty. So uh, maybe you're right, but I'd have been my, I would have done it a bit like they do with jockeys in in uh, when they breach the rules of racing. They give them a penalty, and they give them the option to start the two week or three week or a month or a three month penalty at a point in time in the future. So you could say to Patrick Reid, you've got a month's holiday, we don't want to see you for a month, and that month starts on the 1st of January. And that therefore becomes uh, the correct penalty. It doesn't jeopardise the US team, which would be probably an unfair penalty on the other 11 players, but it, it gives a strong message that it's not acceptable behaviour and we are going to stop it. Well, if you're a fellow professional, it's essentially taking money. If what, Without knowing what's in his mind, you can't say for certain that he did it deliberately and intentionally. However, it doesn't look good. And if you're a fellow professional, he's essentially, if it was deliberate, stealing money out of your pocket, isn't he? Well, there's another great example in that same tournament is we've seen the business of backstopping in during the year, during 2019, in quite a number of tournaments where a player would leave a ball and as Jimmy Walker said, if I like the bloke, I'll leave it there and if I don't like it, I won't leave it there, right? So the players have been leaving the ball there when they're in a bunker or they're chipping and the ball's in a position where it might assist the other player, they've been leaving it there. But in the Sony Open, when Justin Thomas in the third playoff hole hit his wedge pitch to six foot and... Uh, Patrick Reid had to chip up from just in front of the green. Justin Thomas sprinted to his ball to mark it, which demonstrates that they understand the principle of backstopping isn't a good idea and it shouldn't be applied at any time. So, And to be fair, I think that the players have got the message on backstopping and it has slowed down and maybe even stopped completely, which is great. But that's why they should have rubbed Reid out. It would put a stop to this shenanigans. Last thing before we uh, we move on, which we've got uh, lots of other stuff to talk about. Fantastic piece from Michael Bamberger, one of the best golf writers in the world at golf.com, pointing out that one of the things we need to be careful of in golf, leaving aside Reed's behaviour and your stance on whether or not it was deliberate, you can't control his behaviour, but we can control our own. Do we want golf to turn into a game where people feel free to yell things like cheater from the crowd? I'm not comfortable with that as a potential outcome moving forward. Plenty are, 
I'm not. I, it, it was confronting to hear it at Royal Melbourne. It was particularly confronting to hear that nobody came up with anything amusing to say to Patrick Reid. It was all very lame in terms of, uh, you know, a clever sort of abuse for want of a better term. Uh, that's, I, I wouldn't like to see 48 Phoenix Opens become the norm in golf. We're going to see the Phoenix Open in a few weeks. I think Patrick Reid is playing. One can only assume the, res- the treatment he'll receive on the 16th hole there, famous for being the party hole, which others have tried to remember. What do you think about that, Jay? I understand, I think most of us as golfers were angry with what we saw about Reid and the way it was handled. Yeah, well, but Patrick- we need to be careful about descending into becoming something we don't like ourselves. Well, the, P- the PGA Tour, is, it's a, the 16th hole business is, is, is a joke. And, and to be fair, it's probably only one hole they do it for the year. But I've seen other tournaments try to emulate Australian the same thing. To do it. Yeah, well, I mean, look, that's, I'll tell you what, it really disappointed me the first time I ever heard people booing at the footy when a guy had a kick for goal. And, and now you go and see the All Blacks playing rugby and the and half of half of the people are booing the kicker. Fans will tell you, particularly AFL fans, will tell you it's their right, having purchased a ticket, to boo the opposition. Well, it's uh, not just that it's okay to do it; it's their right that comes with the ticket purchase and being a fan. Well, it look it it's the rugby. You know, I mean, the rugby was always a game for public school boys, and there was a there seemed to be a, a slightly better ethos. But now you go to Eden Park in Auckland, and the Kiwis are booing the other mob too. So it's 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 a disease now. We don't want to see it in golf, um, but if we ever did want to see it, we'd want to see it done to Patrick Reid. <laughs> I think you've made your feelings there pretty clear. Patrick Reid, of course, losing a playoff to Justin Thomas uh, at the first tournament of the year, the Century Tournament of Champions, which, which it has to be said, J.E., as far as theatre goes for golf, while some of the play was appallingly ordinary, then you could see better stuff at Mangrove Mountain on a Saturday. In some ways, it was it was great theatre, wasn't it? It was a fantastic start to the, to the year in that sense. It was a good finish. Well, uh, Justin Thomas hit it in the mangroves when he, he had 150 yards to the right. In fact, he could have cut the thing 200 yards and they, they would have given him a drop almost on the edge of the fairway as they did for, <laughs> just, they did for, 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 did for uh, Dustin Johnson. It was an extraordinary decision from a player of his ability, was it? Or an extraordinary shot from a player of his ability. I mean, in all honesty, you feel like you could put him there 100 times. He, he might hit that shot once. Well, the funny thing was the next time he had it came around, he, he, he was so terrified of doing the same thing again, he, 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 he chunked it and it only just got over the, the, the boonies and gave him the shot that he hit the six foot and hold the wind. But, so he obviously wasn't happy with that particular shot, but you would have thought that the right shot was a five wood just banged at the stands and uh, he, all he had to do was make five and couldn't be beaten. And, uh, he, and he... That was a pretty ordinary shot, but anyway. Well, we love he, the game, isn't it, J.E.? Because you just never know. He had he, to give. You got to give him a great deal of credit. Having chunked his wood in the third time round, he did hit a fantastic wedge shot yeah. and uh, and made a good putt to win. And, and thank God he did because the other bloke wouldn't have been a right <laughs> little disaster, wouldn't it? Had a little bit of everything that finished. Let's move on to this week. So we didn't have a win. I think is the. Is fifth, the, and sixth, uh, fifth and um, sixth, and, yeah, no. and 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 my my pick at two ninety that did firm into one hundred and thirty in the finish. Um, Tyler Duncan, he he 
was close up after round one, had a bad round, round two, and then shot 68 in round three. So finished up night, uh, you know, a pretty good effort, really. Which is what we're looking for, value bet. And I've tipped him again this week, and we'll hear about that shortly. We will hear about that shortly. But before we get to the US, let's start with the European Tour. And the European Tour in South Africa. Where else would the European Tour play, J.A., aside from outside of Europe? So let's start with winning bets. These are all Betfair point one units each. Your picks for podcast, Pete Maverick Ancliffe, young Australian. Sammy Valmarki, who I'm not sure where he's from. Uh, There's a couple of others there for subscribers, Steve. Tell me quickly about why Maverick Ancliffe and Sammy Valmarki. Well, Maverick Ancliffe is is one of those – he's almost a kudder. Um, He won three times on the Asian tour. China tour, sorry. China tour. So, therefore, he's a winner. I always think that that's a vital thing. Um, And I marked him at 150 and he got out to $400. So, I thought that was just well over the odds. Um, And if Maverick Ancliffe – does perform well, you're going to see him around about $100 in, in the near future. So uh, so that's why we've got him in. Sammy, Sammy Valmackis, um, uh, quite a good player from uh, Sweden. And uh, just let me check my notes here, if, if you would, Bond. On actual paper, people. He's got actual notes made on paper with a pen. 134. I've got a number on here. So this is why I can uh, refer He's to He's cross-referencing. You're like a librarian, J.E. This is extraordinary to see the, the curtain been. pulled back. I've read a few books. <laughs> anyway, Sammy Valmackey, his last four starts, 9-8, miscut, 64. He's from Finland. Finland. And, uh, I, um, I like the cut of this bloke. I watched him play, play uh, those two events where he finished up very close, and he got out to 600 bucks. So... That's way over the odds. He's about a 150 to 1 chance. So there we have the two win bets. Oh, plus, we've got some beauties down here, haven't we, Ron? Before you move on for the those. top 20, I wanted to ask you, you, you sort of touched on it there. He's a winner, you said, about Maverick Ancliffe. I feel like that sometimes is overlooked, the importance of learning to actually win and the discomfort of the positions you've got to be in to have a chance to win. As a player, maybe just talk about that and why... It's important that you see that in a guy like Maverick Ancliffe before he gets to that next level. Well, betting on Betfair, we're betting the win. So we're only interested in people who can win. There's a fella called Charles Howe III. I think he's made $40 million or something. Staggering sum of money. He, he did win one last year, which is which is very rare. Second or third win, I think, for him. What third win, third but win. I think the second in 10 years. And those guys are out there making a wonderful living. Their name doesn't appear on a chocolate box or on a cigarette packet, but they make a very, very good living. They've probably got two or three houses, a lot of good cars, and uh, maybe even a nice plane. But they're not going to win, so I don't want to be on them when we're looking for a winning chance. Take the other side of the coin. Some people who, when they get in a winning position, win. A guy like uh, Jordan Spieth's probably a great example of that. If he gets close to the lead, he's always very hard to beat. They're the guys you want to find at odds. And obviously Maverick Antcliffe with his uh, three wins in China has proven he can win. And he's he's got to step up here. This is uh, a better standard of golf than the Chinese tour. But he's young enough and I believe he'll make that step up. So and if he gets near the lead, he won't be phased as some others might at this point in a career because he's already 
he's been through the roller coaster of emotions that that come with being near the lead on a Sunday afternoon, and he's overcome them. Well, I was lucky as a young man um, to be a very good friend of David Haynes, who owned Kingston Town amongst quite a lot of other achievements, including rebuilding Darwin after the 1974 uh, typhoon. And David introduced me to uh, Norman, who'd been teaching him for four or five years when he retired and decided to play golf. And in actual fact, went and played in the British Open qualifying. It wasn't a bad effort. But anyway, Norman said to me, John, he said, the first thing you've got to do is win early. He said, if you win early, he said, you'll have a long career. And he was right. I didn't win early. <laughs> but, but, uh, but, uh, had a long career uh, in tipping. Uh, yeah, he had a long career doing a whole lot of other things. But, but anyway, he, he, um, you look at the guys who do win early and they can have periods of uh, poor... Uh, Greg Turner's a great example. Won his first professional tournament, the New Zealand PGA, won the Scandinavian Enterprise Open, won the Singapore Open, and then he had a... From 1987, for about four years, hardly ever made a cut. But then he got into a position to win the New Zealand Open, and all of a sudden, the penny dropped, and bang, he won the tournament from absolutely nowhere and then he went on and won another 10 or 11 tournaments so if you've won early you can come back and do it again and I think that's why we're tipping Maverick Ancliffe sort of an intangible but you throw it into that notion of value betting I guess that's the I think it's more than an intangible it's probably I think um, one of the I think it's certainly one of the five or six parameters that I'm looking for and you look at, look at the opposite side of the coin, Tiger Woods, who almost never seems to lose. 154-hole lead, I think he's lost in his career. Now, just before we go on to the top 20 bets, yep. I don't know whether I marked these for you, Rod, but I do want to mention uh, a couple of tips that we've had on Bet365. Normally, we're on Betfair, mm-hmm. and normally we're betting on the win and the top 20 sometimes. Mm-hmm. But I had a look at the odds. There's 240 players here, so clearly there's going to be some longer odds available somewhere than the $1,000 maximum on Betfair. And I found, to my unbelievable surprise, that there were three guys at 2,500 to one each way on Bet365. So I'll tell you about them. Quentin Wilsnatch. Not, <laughs> Could not, have been a weightlifter. Not, not quite like Tiger Woods, is it? But anyway, <laughs> here's his form. Last three starts, 10th, 9th and 4th. Now, that won't be on the European Tour. No, of course not. But it's on, again, we come back to that form and can he rise up to the next level? Well, Quentin Wilsnatch finished 12th in this event. He's only appearance. So he's not only 10, 9, 4, but 12th in this event. <laughs> Okay. And he's 2,500 to one. That's a value bet. Each way. That's, That's a phenomenal value. value. Yep. So we're giving Quentin the big nod on uh, for both subscriber Steve and podcast Pete. And here's another one. Clayton Mansfield, also from, these boys are from South Africa. He's finished 5th, 4th, 5th, 11th. Now, he's 2,500 to one. I thought to myself, how's this work? So... Then I found another one, Benjamin Follett-Smith, finished 14th here last 
year, 14th, top 20. Got to finish in the top five to get the big money, but you're getting 600 and 10, 12.50 actually, 6.12.50 to one. The place about Benjamin Follett-Smith, who finished 14th last year. So those three guys, I thought, were phenomenal value and you better hurry because when I tried to get on this morning, the bookies were, they, they were having palpitations <laughs> and well. they, had to go and, they had to go and talk to mummy about it, but they did let me on in the end So and the prices are still there. So get on those guys. This is, I think these are the value bets of, of the last three years. Best value bets I've seen in the last three years. $612.50 for any professional in a professional event to to finish in a place top five top out, five a top five is outrageous isn't it? that is outrageous not only with a with a record you know, some of these yeah, guys that's, that's what I mean. leave, leave everything else aside if you're in the field you're better than 600 to one chance to finish in the top five aren't you just yep. by nature virtue of the fact you're in the field unbelievable value yeah absolutely all right uh you mentioned there let's quickly move back to top 20 bets for this south african open you've got two here that or three here that you've listed for podcast pete uh, one name in particular here I think that everybody will recognise and two they might not. Run us through who you've picked. Gary Stahl. Mm-hmm. Well, Gary Stahl won, I think, the one uh, in the desert, didn't he? Qatar, I think it was. Yeah, I think he won the Qatar. Martin Keimer was four under through the first six holes, shot a 1,000 over from there to the house, if I recall, and Gary Stahl stormed home with a 65 to win it. So he's a winner. On the European tour, and to finish in the top 20 at the South African Open, which has got to be three levels down, maybe two levels down at the very least, he's $36 for the top 20. So we've put him in there. Value, yep. Uh, Robin Peterson. Hang on a minute. What have I got? E-subscriber Steve. Let's go with Ben Polk. Oh, yeah, right. Sorry. Don't tell anybody (laughs) about that, whatever you do. Right, Ben Polk, $9. Now, Ben Polk is top 20. Ben Polk finished top of the European Tour School. And first tournament, played quite nicely, didn't finish the top 20, but played quite well, probably finished 30th or 40th. So Benny Polk, $9 for the top 20 is big value. Now, the third one, Jeff Winter. No. <laughs> Don't mention that name. You're supposed to lead me here, right? You know, you've got a role to play here, don't you? Jay, and the third one you've picked is one that really <laughs> intrigues me. Super talented young uh, kid from Western Australia. I can call him a kid because he's less than half my age. Minwoo Lee. Now, I've personally had a bit to do with Minwoo. Followed him around a lot of golf courses the last couple of years from both being an amateur to turning professional around this time last year, it would have been. I think you've seen Minwoo play. He is a special talent, Jay. Uh, Minwoo Lee... Um, I watched him play the Australian PGA uh, and I watched him very closely and due to the vagaries of television today, we saw more of him than anybody else, including the winner. But anyway, he impressed me with his unbelievable talent. He's, there's no shot that I don't think he can, that he can't play. Um, I was a bit disappointed in his course management a few times, um, but despite that, he recovered well. He, his bounce back is very good, and I thought the top twenty two dollars eighty four was very very big odds um, at this level. So, so we've got Minwoo Lee in there. 
all he's got to do is get away to a reasonable start, and he's certainly finished in the top 20. He's... Um Course management, you can learn. I think a professional caddy will help that. At some point, he's going to find the right caddy, I suspect. Uh, I'd put him in that class of golfer who is so good and has the ability to play all of the shots that they sometimes forget that you don't need to always play all of the shots. You don't always have to take on the most difficult or the most spectacular shot that occasionally discretion is the better part of Valen. I think once he starts to learn that, he finished tied third at the PGA, and as you said, just in a little bit of TV coverage we saw, I reckon there were six shots that he could have saved uh, just by being a little bit smarter. So well, Probably 12 shots. I, I thought he he, uh, he should have bolted in, but anyway... He's good. He's beyond good. Remember the name because... Yeah, he's long too. He's he's too good not to be one of probably the best players in the world at some point in the you next know, You make years. a good point on that course management. If you watch, If you watch all the US tour and you watch it as closely as as we do, you see the players when they get into difficulty, they chip out ninety percent of the time. Now, there are some famous uh, footage and photos of Seve Ballesteros uh, firing the ball through a hole that a piece of toast wouldn't fit, and and getting away with it on more often than not. But you don't see that very often on the US tour. And I remember uh, Barry Eva Levers caddying for me when I was a young bloke, and he he used to caddy for... In fact, the famous story about him caddying for David Graham. <laughs> David Graham was leading by two strokes in the last hole at the, uh, at the Australian Open at the Australian. And David Graham had a... It's it's a par five with water on the right and water short and David Graham reached for the three wood and Barry said, What are you doing? He said, I'm gonna hit it on the green and and Barry said, No you're not and he gave him the five iron, the sand iron and the putter, took the rest of the clubs, drove up, put them in the boot and drove home. So David had to hit a five iron, a wedge and a putter and he won by two. And and uh Barry disappeared. And Barry, when he used to caddy for me, I'd be in the bushes. I can remember at the Brisbane Golf Club one day in the Queensland Open. I was in the bushes on the left going down one of the par fours. I said, give me the five iron, Bazzer. I'm going to hook it round this this bush and onto the green. He said, what? He said, here, chip out. Here's a seven iron. I'm buggering off. And he made me chip it out, which I, I don't think I'd ever done before. So <laughs> the professional caddies, and you've got to say this about Minwoo Lee, he badly needs a good caddy because I saw him hit a couple of shots that um, Tiger Woods wouldn't have pulled off, even if he tried them. So, so that's probably an area that he, he he does need a very very good, intelligent professional caddy to keep him out of trouble and and probably win a lot of tournaments. Isn't Tiger the prime example of the value of really good course management? It's probably what he does better than all of the others, really. Well, what about the? What about that? I walked around um, Royal Melbourne. I'd never seen Tiger play. You got quite emotional, didn't you? I remember. Oh, I can't. Look, I couldn't believe it. I, I walked around with the fly, who's the world's greatest ever uh, golfing gambler, and and a genius at course management himself. And we watched Tiger play the first five holes. Every other player went up on the green and putted. 
and putted from various places on the green, targeted, and he went to where the ball would finish if he mishit and hit about 30 shots, all different high shots, low shots, spinning shots, no spin shots, running shots, left to right, right to left, the whole, went through the whole gamut. And all of a sudden, on the fifth hole, all the other players copied him. So Tiger's practice was a master class in how to prepare for a golf tournament. And all of a sudden, Justin Thomas, not a bad player, won last week. Bryson DeChambeau, strange. <laughs> and and, and, uh, and 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 um, uh, oh, from uh, American Samoa. Uh, Finau, Tony Finau. Tony Finau. All of a sudden, Tony, they all, they all watched almost with their mouths open the way Tiger prepared, and from then on they prepared the same way. So Tiger, Tiger's understanding of the game was demonstrated to me in just five holes. Forget about the fact that every shot he hit during the tournament when I watched him, and I watched him quite a lot, every shot he hit during the tournament... He did not, on one occasion, hit it into a position where he could have three-putted, which at Royal Melbourne is phenomenal. Unbelievable. Those of us lucky enough to be, I think we were very privileged to see a pretty special show uh, that week from Tiger Woods. All right, we better get on with it because we're really dragging. Let's go to the Sony Open. Uh, This is uh, also in Hawaii, following on from the tournament for winners only last week. Pretty popular event, this one. Let's start with the winners, and by my reckoning, you've got one, two, three, four here. Would you like me to name them so you no, go with them one time? Otherwise, I can't find them. I've got right, so many go. things written on my. Patton Kazire. Okay, well, Patton Kazire, right? Now, great example. I marked him at a hundred to one, and for this reason, he won twice two years ago, both times in Hawaii, and he's got out to two hundred and forty dollars. So, Patton Kazire, two hundred and forty dollars value. Plays well at this time of the year, plays well in Hawaii, and he's a smart young bloke. I've watched him secret golf, which is run by um, Steve Elkington, Elkington, the wonderful uh, winner of the Players, twice winner of the Players Championship. He was talking to Patton Kazaya the other day about his method, and uh, I was quite impressed. Kazaya... Seems like a very thoughtful character. So $240 over the odds. Big laid-back Southern American unit. Tyler Duncan. Well, Tyler Duncan, two starts ago, he won the last tournament of last year on the US Tour. I tipped him last week at the Sony. He started with 68. He had an ordinary round in the second round, 78 in the second round, which put him out of business. But then he shot 68 and he finished up uh, tied for 19th. So two rounds of 68. In that company, shows that it, uh, and and plus his win, he's a wonderful ball striker. Uh, I just thought that one hundred and seventy dollars, uh, in what is not quite a top class field, was a, uh, a, a well above odds value proposition. Hudson Swafford, one of the best names in the game. Great record on this course. Uh, three top twenties in, in in the last five years. Uh, got out to 400 to 1. And finally, the Canadian, Graham Dallet. Well, you know, as we've often said, former's temporary class is permanent. Graham Dallet was one of the top five or six players on the US Tour only two or three years ago, and then I think he got, an, he got a crook back, didn't he? he had surgery, back. Same, same surgery, I think, that Tiger had, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so uh, he came back. He's had a couple of starts back, and uh, he's probably – he'll be rested – 
but he'll also have had an opportunity to keep working on his game over this period, and he's out to 540. Now, two years ago, he would have been 40. So 540 is just uh, – it's, it's about the odds, really. Value bet. Uh, top 20s, let's start with Matt Kuchar, the caddy's favourite. Yeah. I, look, <laughs> Has anybody look, ruined I've got an image as quickly as Matt Kuchar well, managed I've got to say, I've got to say I don't like Matt Kuchar. <laughs> and and one of you, I'm not going to tell the story you told me, but it is worth listening to it at some stage if you ever get half pissed and decide to tell people. But anyway, Matt Kuchar, I just couldn't go past him because of his record here. I think he's had sort of six top tens out of, uh, out of the last uh, ten tournaments here. Uh, and he's two dollars twenty-eight for the top twenty. He's a he's 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 one of those guys we talked about, like Charles Al the third. He's a, he's a non-winner, but he's a consistent top ten finisher. Very very consistent. He's a walking ATM, is what he, 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 he is. He's won. not a winner. I think he's got nine or ten PGA Tour titles. Well, yeah, but he should have. You know, he he could have. He doesn't win only, as often as he's in contention. To be fair, he should have won the British Open that Spieth won, and 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 he, and because of the strange ruling that Spieth got on the practice fairway, he didn't win. But but he he did, to his credit, perform very strongly in the last nine holes there. But Spieth just was a bit too strong. So I've got him at $2.28 for the top 20, which I thought was luxury. Tyler Duncan. Well, there you go. Already earlier, yeah. Exactly, exactly. He's Remember, Tyler Duncan was in the very top of the class last week where um, there were only 30, 34 players, but they were, the thir- they, were, they were all the winners of the tournament. He finished 19th. This is a, this is a step down in class. Just... Uh, Five dollars sixty, I think he is. Yep, five dollars sixty. So, just over the odds, uh, and you'll make a quid if you back those two guys top twenty. If that's all you do for the week, make sure you have your uh, fifty bucks or twenty bucks or however much you can afford on those two, and you won't be disappointed. Indeed. Let's now just move to the final one of the week: the Asian Tour and the Hong Kong Open. This tournament was delayed after the political issues with China and Hong Kong. To the back end of last year, uh, which means I think it's no longer European Tour co-sanctioned for this year only because they've moved the date to this week where we've already got the South African Open on. And this one's probably the market's probably forming a bit later given the time of uh, time of the week where we're at. But in the Hong Kong Open on the Asian Tour, you have gone with Marden Marmat. Yeah, now, um, I'll just... I just want to find Marden Marmat if you'll just bear with me. You yeah. won't have trouble. He's not a small lump of a lad. No, he's not, but he's um, he's just got to be. He's going to be a long, long way down here. Now, the reason I've put him in is nine hundred and thirty dollars, which you're now wondering if you got that right because it sounds outrageous, doesn't it? So, if that's correct, that would be no, a very it's, good it's bet. Cor- it's correct, and this is on Betfair. But Martin Marmat, he's a better player than that, isn't he? Is Martin Marmat? He's uh, he finished eighteenth three starts ago. He's finished twenty fifth in this tournament. I thought at 9.30 he was just something you couldn't miss out on. You mentioned a couple of others here for subscribers, Steve. We won't go through, but you'll note at the bottom here is that the rest of this market is as yet immature. So are there some more to come there, do you think? Or Yeah, no, no, there will suggested? be. There, 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 that's, this is the least important tournament of the three, and uh, it looks like the punters have uh, taken less interest. I will say there's one guy in here that, that I haven't marked to you, but I will mention him. Charlie Wee has played the US Tour for he about re- 20 years. Did he retire a couple of years ago? He retired, but he turns up every now and then on the US Tour. 
and he's he's made the cut two out of the last three times on the US tour he's played, and here he is in the Hong Kong Open, which is definitely fourth grade at the very best. It's an Asian tour event, not co-sanctioned, and he's five hundred and sixty dollars. So I just thought that if Charlie he, he actually finished twentieth here last time he played last year too. So if Charlie Wee got a start, you'd find that he'd shorten pretty quickly. So five sixty becomes a pretty good proposition. And he's still a very good player. He has retired in effect, but he's not as he's only he's in his forties. Uh he's probably keeping his hand in for the senior tour. But I just thought five sixty was in this field, it's it's I mean Trevor Ormsby, uh, Wade Ormsby is $21, and Andrew Doge $36, and Shiv Kapoor is $44. So I just thought that Charlie Wee is just uh, a bit over the odds, Rod. V for value, if not necessarily for victory, J.E., though we do hope that perhaps... Uh, is that is that a, the German pronunciation? <laughs> v? Charlie V? Yeah, indeed. J.E., always fantastic to have you in the studio, my friend. It has been again this week. Thank you for your time. And Rod, thank you. And uh, and um, I must say, I, I listened last night at one thirty in the morning because I couldn't get to sleep. It was so hot. <laughs> but I did hear the rain coming. <laughs> but anyway, I heard you talking with Johnny Huggin, and I've just got to make the comment that that it was a bit like two old golf pros having a yarn, <laughs> which is quite, can, can be interesting. And it was two old journo's having a chat. And I've got to relate this story because because. Uh, it's it's against you, you know. It's actually against Huggin, and you were talking about the fact that that if the job of a journalist uh, disappeared, um, which it might, which it could, because there aren't many newspapers, uh, and 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 uh, and the role of a golf uh, writer on newspapers is diminishing, and that Huggin had studied business management at Stirling University and got a Bachelor of Arts majoring in business, which you would think would have taught Johnny Huggin some of the principles of business. But you and he were talking about if he wasn't going to be a journalist, he'd go and be a postman. So I would have to say, Rod, that a man with a BA in business, thinking that journalism is dead and he's going to go and be a postman where no one writes a letter anymore... I thought it was probably not the best choice. <laughs> From one dying industry to another. Uh, he made the point in that podcast, that's the thing about golf podcasts, if anybody's interested in golf, and uh, it's a little bit more cerebral, I guess, than some of the other golf content you'll find out there. It's not about the week-to-week golf. It's not sort of even like what we do here, but just good in-depth discussions with people from golf. Huggin was one I particularly wanted to. I listened back to it myself, Jay, and I cringed a few times. I talked over the top of Huggy a few times. I shouldn't have. It was, I felt like there was a lot more there. I always walk away from those interviews feeling like I left more out than we got in. There's always a lot of good stuff in there, but it felt to me like we could have gone another two hours there and there would have been just nugget after nugget of gold from John Huggin. He's a, he's one of a kind and one of the best in the golf riding business. So if you're interested in golf and you're familiar with Huggy, go and have a listen to that. Uh, very kind of you to say all that, J.E. Um, uh, that's it for us here at Risk and Reward for episode 24. But don't fret, we will be back to do it all again next week when hopefully one of J.E.'s long shot tips has come up. That's it for episode 24, Risk and Reward. <laughs>